0: I'm really, really encouraged with what um, the worship music and then the, the word of encouragement that Joe Spann had. It's absurdly fitting um, to where we're going to land today in our teaching. And one of the things we sensed in prayer today was that the Lord was really going after fear and anxiety in us. Um, just that's that kind of sense of discernment that and so here's the good news if you're feeling it good news jesus is going to visit you today uh, in his glory and so yeah we invite you jesus we just say we just want you we need you you're our hope you're our rescue you're the place where i just finally feel settled and i'm not afraid and so, Jesus, will you take us into the, the gaze of your face that you, that you initiated? You long to look at us. You long to calm us. You're the good shepherd. And so you sit us down today. Will you give us grace to lose track of everything else but you, even if just for a moment? Even if just for a moment, Lord, we're so easily distracted. Get our attention here today in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, um, today we're going to restart up our worship teaching series that we were on for a good portion of the summer. We we took a break for about five weeks and talked about mission and outward looking. How many of you guys enjoyed receiving the oil of joy last week? Wasn't that fun? You know, I, I notice, uh, you know, the, as we look back on, say, like what we saw at the Asbury Revival and and just kind of the Lord, the way the Lord interrupted us last week, and you look at the, the the book of Acts, the way God, Jesus works with His church is it's like seasons of daily and then disruption, and then daily and then disruption, and, and so it's so he he he, it's like we need both. Does that make sense? You know, it's, with daily, you can you can float away from Jesus and kind of think you're running the show, and then He lets. You know, just his mercy realizes how powerless we are. And then we need him and it's wonderful. And then he's like, well, but I want you to live daily life because I like the planet I made. And I, you know, you know, and so it's this beautiful pattern. And so actually, as we look at worship, we realize worship is much like this. And so the reason we are doing and and today, really, I'm just going to catch us up. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully, if you've been here all summer, you're not like I've never heard any of this if that 's the case, man, darn it <laughs> but that 's okay too, but also, a lot of you guys weren 't here this summer, and so this will catch up we 're asking why why are we doing why are we addressing this idea of worship don 't we have that thing down by now and, and And as we look at scripture and just watch the world around us, we humans are literally made for worship. it is our natural impulse we can't help but do it. I've been watching a series on Netflix about the Florida Gators uh, called the Swamp Kings. Uh, It's a football team in case you don't know what I'm talking about. It's a college football team. People worship football man. It's like shocking. I mean life that monastic dedication to football. Of leaving all behind. I have decided to follow football. I have decided. You know, no turning back, man. We are just made to worship. We can't help but do it. So it's so core to our, our identity. We've got to get, got to get this thing sorted. Uh, in fact, Paul says at this, that we actually exist. For the praise of God's glory. We exist for the praise of God's glory. But our biggest problem is that we tend to misplace that worship. Paul says it this way at the beginning of Romans when he's kind of given... In Romans he gives basically the whole human story, which we call the gospel. He says this, he says, The wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since... Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So misplaced worship is this is, is this thing that is really at the core of our brokenness, at the core of what isn't working about us in the world. And, and what we say here in, at Believers is that we want to be... Our goal is to become near and like Jesus. Jesus, the image of God. And when it comes to worship, we see, and and hopefully we'll unpack this a little later, that Jesus himself is the model of what worship is. He himself is the true worshiper. And so wouldn't it make sense that we want to put how we do worship, what we think worship is, up against Jesus' life and let him define it. Let him shape it. Sound good? Yeah, it sort of is. Because <laughs> he's, he's got some stuff he's got to deconstruct, if you will. So we've been looking at what, why worship, what's worship, how, who, when, where. And, and so we've been doing it based on this one sentence in Romans twelve i I'm just remembering... Ah. Yeah, you remember last week I told you that I had a group of pastors that were praying, and one of them had the word about the oil of joy. Okay, so so this is a group of pastors. I'm, I get to be part of with twenty four seven prayer. We meet once a month on Zoom, and they're from all over the United States, and about seven or eight of us. So this was about two or three weeks ago. One of them was praying over me and said, The Lord wants to anoint you with the oil of joy and uh, renew the joy of your salvation. That's going to be your evangelism strategy. Craig Westhoff and I had been talking about that very thing. I'm like, whoa. Then another one of the pastors from Kansas City started praying. He said, Guile, I see your hair is on fire. And it's God renewing your mind. I see Romans 12.1. And God wants to bring a new thing of worship through you guys. And I was like... What is happening? <laughs> have you guys been following us? You know, I mean, this is almost creepy. Um, the Lord so wants us. He so wants us that he offers these encouragements that are unnecessary, really, but are beautiful and helpful to say, I'm, I, I want to have your worship, and I want, I, want, I want you to find what you're for. Together, it's just so encouraging to me. That Jesus really cares. He sees us. And so we've been basing this, this exploration of worship on this. Therefore, Paul saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so the first question he asked is, why do we worship? And we realized we just started with the word, therefore. And the word therefore, you always gotta ask. Yes, thank you. So wonderful. What's therefore therefore means he's connect, whoever the writer is, is connecting to a previous thought. And so one of the things we realize about Romans 1 through 11 is there's this first argument that Paul sets up about the gospel. And then the hinge verse really is this verse between the rest of the book. And so knowing what therefore is therefore requires we look at the first 11 chapters. So, you know, we did that. We did that quite a bit. And we noticed one of the things in the first few verses about worship is that glory is the key to understanding worship. So Paul says it, and we just read some of this. Although they, humans, we knew God, we neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. We exchanged the glory of the immortal for god for images and we worshiped and served created things rather than the creator so we see the connection between glory and worship it's essential connection and so what we had to ask first is what what is the glory of god what do the scriptures say about what that is it's kind of a kind of a broad and a bit ambiguous term and what's fascinating about it is the scriptures recognize just how diverse and big, the glory of God is. So there's not really one simple definition, but some of the things we could see around it is this, the glory of God is like the weight of God's honor, His splendor, His wealth, His high status. And I love that word weight. Kavod is the Hebrew word that's got in its root the idea of the weight of something. You kind of know what it means, right? You know, you're not trying to say how heavy is God. It's, it's, it's just a weight to beauty and his majesty in the way that god reveals his glory is first of all that god alone has glory that whatever is beautiful and incredible is from god it's in god's presence It's god's creation one of the reasons we talk about creation to try to make sense of the glory of god is it sort of reflects him Like, asking God to come to your house is like asking the sun, S-U-N, into your living room. I mean, it's insane. And we see God's actions, the way God does things, His brilliance, that, that, that... you know, there's a whole nation going crazy in Israel. And then he goes to a widow at Nain and gives her all the oil she needs. And it, it, it's glorious that God pays attention to who he does and does stunning things to the least likely of people. And in, 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 in we see these pictures of God's glory and sight and sound and action. We see God showing up on Mount Sinai that he miraculously brought Israel, his people, out of slavery in Egypt with crazy miracles and then divided the Red Sea so that they walk through, which is crazy. God's glory, God's weight, god only God can do this. And then they, they go to Mount Sinai and God descends on it and, and they're literally just hearing thunder. They're seeing lightning, there's flame and cloud. That's, it's so overwhelming that people are like, Can God stop, please? It's just too much. But here's what's fascinating is that, that the very guy Moses who, who was leading Israel at that time and sees all this glory after he's been through all that he says to God will you show me your glory? Which is still just a, what are you about? And And we see this moment where God says well you can't look at me in the face because you'll die. I'm a little too much for you. But I'll pass by you. And what ends up happening is God tells these characteristics of his character. And if you had to sum it up, as in this love and justice is at the very center of what it means that God is glorious. That somehow he's the one being, the one location where complete love and complete justice can coexist. Then, as the New Testament goes on, we see that Jesus himself becomes the embodiment of the glory of God. Paul says it this way. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. In other words, let there be light at creation. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. What does it look like? What's God's glory look like? Displayed in the face of Christ. And we see in Jesus the height of God's glory that in the cross, love and justice finally fully met. In the cross of Jesus. That complete undeserved love. And justice for all evil. Meet in the cross of Jesus. Man you can just sit there for about 10,000 years. And slowly go okay. Whoa. And so. We see then responses that happen throughout scripture. To God's glory. Just one of them is Daniel. Um, uh, sees this picture. He says, In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. This is a picture of Jesus ahead of time. And it says, In response to this glory, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Then we see this fun thing that over and over again throughout scriptures leviticus all these whenever god's glory shows up people just fall over they just fall face down it's not even like i I have a feeling they weren't like well orchestrated like you know it was a fall face down to the glory and so what he said why do we worship it's because worship is the reasonable response to god's glory it's just the, re- it's the reasonable thing. It's like, have you ever been around somebody, I don't know, <laughs> famous? And you're like, wow, they're awesome. You like kind of want to worship them a little bit. I don't know why this happened, but we used to do this thing with new people. We'd greet them in the back. And I don't know why, who knows why, but Dan Threlkeld was here, the meteorologist. <laughs> and it completely starstruck me. And if Dan's here today, I feel sorry about that, bro. It was awkward for both of us. But I just thought, I was like, you're Dan And He goes, yes, I am. And I was just like, (laughs) I don't know why. It was totally involuntary. I don't have a thing for meteorologists. I've never wanted to be one. But I couldn't handle myself. I just needed to worship, you know. I was in the presence of glory. Worship is the reasonable response to God's glory. So why do we worship? We worship because God's glorious. Just what? Don't you feel it when you see a sunrise? You got or or a sunset? You got to say something. You got to acknowledge it. You've Just got to say, whoa! Do you see that? I'm going to call somebody. I'm going to take a picture of that. And so worship is a reasonable response to God's glory. So then we said, what is worship? And we say glorifying God, and it's like, that's not very helpful, is it? What does that mean? Well, we, we talked about that. We, what we know in the scriptures, all the way prior to Romans 12 1, we're not just backing out to Romans 1 through 11, but the whole scriptures, is that God has always existed in the beginning God, first sentence in the Bible. Then we realize that God doesn't need anything, He doesn't need creation, He's doing just fine on His own. God alone has glory. If you add all that together, the math is God doesn't need anyone or anything to give him glory. So the question is like, how does that work? You know what I'm saying is how, how does God not, not need anything? He doesn't need anyone to give him glory. And it's that God is one God who is community. He's one God, three persons. If that doesn't make sense to you, that's good. It means you're not God. That's one of the things that I think is most compelling about the Christian faith is the fact that God and his existence exceeds my understanding. That means we're probably dealing with God. If I got it all figured out, I might not be actually dealing with God. So John 17, verses 1, 4 through 5, and 24, you can see this Jesus as he's in this one, his last prayer before he goes to the cross, he's praying to the Father, and he, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And he finishes the prayer saying, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Why? Because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is such a deep, deep, it takes a long time of contemplation to really start to unravel this. But one of the things we see here is that the father loves and delights in his son, so he gives him glory. I love you. So he gives him glory. And then the Son loves and delights in the Father, so returns the glory. And then we can see throughout the the rest of the New Testament scriptures that the Holy Spirit is the very one who embodies and reveals the love and glory between the Father and the Son. The best illustration I, I I did this at fusion camp where I had the Father stand here and the Son stand here. And then the Holy Spirit was running back and forth, hugging and loving you know, the Father and the Son between the two. It, it, it's, it's, it's something like that. Not quite, but something like that. That's going on eternally in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so um, God doesn't need anyone or anything to give Him glory. This is so important to recognize. Because otherwise worship can feel like Meeting the needs of a highly insecure narcissist. Seriously. Especially when you're suffering. And you say, just worship the Lord. You're like, seriously, dude? Oh, God, God's not asking our worship because He needs it. Ever. He does not need a thing. Glory and delight is in Him forever. So this is super important because it it defines, if you understand why creation exists, it makes more sense of us. (laughs) Here's why creation exists, and we we went in in greater detail in, you know, previous sermons. The Father loves and delights His Son, so gives Him glory. God loves and delights in His Son so much, He decides to share that love and delight with the creation, we see it over and over again in Proverbs 8, it's Proverbs 8, 30 and 31. If you just want to say that God at creation, the wisdom of God is delighting. That it, could be, it could be translated playing. He's playing the things you feel as a child at play is what he thought about creation. It wasn't, I need somebody to worship me. He's like, I love the son so much and he loves me back. Let's create some people to be part of that love story. So that then we see that creation is made through Jesus and for Him, it's His inheritance. Jesus is the is the is the blueprint for what we are. That he that Father's like. Who could I bring into this party? So He decides to share this love and delight with creation, and then God gives His love or His glory to that creation. We say, you know, we see glory in creation and we see glory in humanity because what God does is He embodies and then creation embodies and declares God's glory. Here's the thing. Simply by existing, we bring glory to God. He's like, do you see what I made? Look how awesome I am. I did something beautiful. Let's do this thing. And this happens especially with humanity that that, that in, in Genesis 1, and 27 that God says, let us make man our image in male and female. He made them that they would embody the very image of God's glory. Not only in their just their existence, but in how they act, how they take care of this beautiful planet, act with justice and, and beauty and love. They'll see my glory. So, when we talk about why we worship, it's because God is glorious. It's the reasonable response to God's glory. What is it? It's glorifying God. It's embodying in our being and declaring with our wills, with our actions, with our words, God's glory. But that's not all there is to the story. And so we talked about this part of Romans 12.1. By the way, that was all on therefore. All of that was therefore. In view of God's mercy, what's Paul talking about? And and this is where we look at the first 11 chapters of Romans, and we have what I call the story of glory. What what goes down regarding glory in the first 11 chapters of Romans, there's a problem at the front end of it. It's that Paul says it this way, all humans have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, another way to say it is our choice not to declare God's glory, to worship something other than God, it it distorts our ability to embody His glory. Does that make sense? So we're the image of God, so it would be normal for us to be loving and completely just with all people. But sin, we do something different. When we worship something else, it deforms us. What we worship forms us. We become conformed to its image. And so when, we, when we, we worship idols or ourselves, or we start to not be loving and just. <laughs> and and, and the, the hard part about that is we can't fix ourselves. The, the uh, theologian Athanasius, back in the 4th century, said it this way. He said It said, like, God made this beautiful painting called Humanity. But then sin, like, deforms this painting, you know, and just splatters it. But the problem is, we can't fix it because nobody saw the original. You you can't redraw it because nobody saw the original. Right? So so think about it. We, We try all kinds of crazy stuff to redefine ourselves, don't we? To repaint that thing. And what what's happened in Jesus? Jesus has embodied the very image of God in humanity that was always intended. So they go, "Oh, there's the painting. That's what I was meant to be." So, sin distorted our relationship with God and the embodiment of His glory in humanity. But then, God, look at the glory of God, that He has a solution. He doesn't just go, "Let's move on." He he, he wants this. He wants us. So Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifice for humanity's sin. And we'll we'll talk later about how that's even built into worship as it's understood. And then Jesus is the image and glory of God. So those who put their faith in his sacrifice experience the restoration of God's glory in them because they're progressively transformed into Jesus' image. So Paul talks about that happening, that, that, that by faith in what Jesus has done for us, we're rescued. Things are put together between us and God. And then Romans 6, he says, and you actually have died to sin so that no longer is the ruling power in your life. That you have a new power at work, which is the very Holy Spirit that communicates and embodies the glory and love of God in the Trinity is actually in you now. To give you power to say no to sin and to become a new person that looks like Jesus. Even better, looks like you made in the image of Jesus. And that we're not going to see that fully happen until Jesus returns and restores everything. All of creation is longing. All of creation is saying, we can't wait to be restored. And every mosquito on the earth says, yes, Lord, repurpose me, please. And we all say together, amen. So the solution is that God restores relationship with and glory in humanity through Jesus to become like Jesus. We see Israel's part of this solution. Chapters 9 through 11. That the whole story of glory through Israel to the Gentiles. Demonstrates the incredible mercy of God to the whole world. And that leads us to this sentence. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters. In view of this mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so the way we summarize this, and you notice I keep on repeating myself, say why we worship, it's because God is glorious, it's the reasonable response to God's glory. What is worship? It's glorifying God, it's embodying and declaring God's glory, but because sin has deformed us, worship is also becoming like Jesus. It's being restored to embody and declare God's glory. I think sometimes, you know, where we get frustrated with worship, especially in moments of suffering, is we leave off the becoming like Jesus part, and we try to just unfit ourselves. Just try to glorify God, this all stinks. Oh, man, the best thing ever is Jesus has suffered immensely, Jesus has felt terrible. Jesus has been so discouraged. Jesus has been humiliated. Jesus has been betrayed. And when you look at Jesus and realize, okay, Jesus went through all that. It killed him and he beat it. Oh, and he's what, is the power working in me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I just spontaneously worship. Does that make sense? I start saying, wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Jesus, I had this the other day. You ever had a moment where all the bad things that are happening just keep on coming to you? And you're like, the world's a mess, man. Everything's a mess. Everything's terrible all the time. I've I've taken to read, when I read the news, I listen to worship music. I'm absolutely serious, just to keep me framed. And and I felt like the Lord directed me to Isaiah 53. And you know what it's all, all about? is Jesus just getting a snot beat out of him? And me going, thank you, Jesus. You've experienced all the suffering and you've said, no further. Let's end it here. Let's, Let's bring resurrection into this. So worship is both glorifying God and becoming like Jesus. Here's a beautiful phrase that Irenaeus, writer in 180 AD, said, the glory of God the weight and beauty of God is a human fully alive whose life is the vision of God. When I see you, I see God. Why? Because when you look, you see God. Oh, do it in us, Lord. Make our lives a vision of God. So, last thing we talked about was how do we worship? And this is a big, big question, but we looked at least one thing. And it was based on this phrase right here, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What we did to try to figure out, what does that even mean? I don't know about you guys, but I haven't really ever offered a sacrifice in my lifetime. Have you? You know what I mean? Like a baby goat or something. You know what I mean? It's just most of us are probably grossed out by that idea right Um, but if we look at human history the oldest things you can read sacrifice was a normal part of worship it was just normal and and so we, we we recognize that and then we look at the old testament starting from the very what the third or fourth fourth chapter of genesis we already see sacrifice and what we did was kind of looked at how does worship figure into Old Testament sacrifice. And there were three basic themes that we saw as sacrifice. The first one here is this. That's so stunning about the God of the Bible is that he provides the sacrifice. He's not going, I'm mad. I'm the rain God. You better figure out something to make me happy. He's like, oh, you want to worship me? Here, why don't you try this? It, it's, it's like, you know, paying for your kids' dates. You know what I mean? You know, and they're like, Mom, I bought you a present. And you're like, Well, I bought me a present, but thanks, that was sweet. God provides it. And it restores relationship with God. It's not just transactional, He wants to have relationship. But the thing that is recognized that what every sacrifice that's given, and especially like, um, I can't remember what it's called now, the burnt offering in the Old Testament is that that offering is completely consumed and just goes up in smoke. It's a a sacrifice is a total surrender, a complete surrender. And so then we look in the New Testament, we say, well, what was going on in the New Testament? People were still sacrificing. The, the, The Jews are still sacrificing in the temple. People in the Gentile world were sacrificing. So it was a live question for our New Testament writers But Paul and others say this is what has actually happened, is that Jesus becomes the sacrifice. Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Um, And Jesus restores relationship with God, and Jesus completely gives himself away as a ransom for all humanity. So so the question then is, what might Paul mean? Paul's, Paul's a good Jewish theologian. He, he, he knows all this stuff. So what's he thinking about when he says to us, make your life a living sacrifice? Well, it, he knows that the therefore, God's already provided everything we need in Jesus. That, that, that in view of God's mercy, what we've talked about up to now is, is restoring relationship with God. So it comes to this idea of us offering our bodies. That's how we worship. So there's a few things connected to that. Offer. You have a choice It's an act of the will To worship To to offer our bodies God's done all this And he still never coerces us To do a single thing Coercion's not part of God's plan Have you noticed this? It's not the way He's the most powerful And he doesn't do it It's a big deal It's a big deal Speaks into so many things I could go off on. But it's an act of our will to offer our bodies. And here's the thing about our bodies. Our bodies, you know what? I think our bodies are like under attack in our culture. I'm I'm serious. We're just so messed up here. So much self-hatred and judgment and foolishness. Our bodies are beautiful, whatever they look like, because God likes them. He made them. And the reason he says, Offer your bodies, it's it's the location of all your will, all your agency. As much as you've tried to exert the force over something, I'm pretty sure it hasn't worked out for you. The, The entire amount of our power exists in our body. Does that make sense? And so... So what he says, your bodies, he's saying your whole existence. It's not the separate thing from your spirit. This is all integrated together. That's the appropriate biblical approach. And notice it's the opposite of what happens when you misplace your worship. In Romans 1 we saw that when you misplace your worship, then you end up defacing your body. Sexual misbehaviors. We're defacing our bodies, actions, greed. We deface ourselves. And living sacrifice. Now here's well it's a sacrifice that stays alive. Paul knows he's messing with his readers' heads, because all sacrifices are dead. But he said, be a living sacrifice. How does that work? And I, I, I feel like Eugene Peterson cat, captures it when he does his paraphrase of this very verse. He says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Had somebody uh, write a little feedback thing uh, to us after this sermon and said, Essentially, thank you, because now I see how mommying is worship. It's holy. Given to the Lord. Offering my body, my place of agency. I'm going to glorify you, Jesus, by reflecting the very character of God in how I mommy. And something happens. I mean, it resonates through all of eternity. I promise you, it resonates way louder than how loud you sang a worship song. It's embodying the glory of God in front of children as you're becoming like Jesus and He's doing the work in you. So, here's the whole shtick from the, last, from the summer. Why do we worship? It's because God is glorious. Worship is the reasonable response to God's glory. What is worship? It's glorifying God. It's embodying and declaring God's glory. And it's also becoming like Jesus because we need to be restored to be able to embody and declare God's glory. And how do we do it? We do it through sacrifice, an act of the will with our bodies. It's the surrender of our entire existence to God's glory. The whole thing. It's like Jesus is awesome. But he does not play well with others. In fact, he doesn't play with any others. Worship is about our entire existence. So what's next? We're going to continue to talk about who, where, when, and how. We're going to slide into more practices than ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm more of the theologian. I like ideas. I live in a world of ideas. My wife's always like, okay, what are we going to do? And so is Anna Lucas. So they help uh, keep us on track. But here's questions I want to ask as we go into the last part of this series. And, and, and you could ask yourself these. Am I open to Jesus messing with my most comfortable favorite worship practices? In other words, if we're letting Jesus define worship, he's the true worshiper, we're letting him define us. How many of you have already found your definitions of worship just messed with a little bit? Anybody? Oh, dear God, help me. Thank you, Joe. The drummer. Drummers. Am I open to Jesus messing with my misplaced worship? Do you ever think it's weird when you re- read in the Old Testament, like, say, Jacob, he he was, like, God's chosen, but he also had household idols? You I mean, it's a thing, you know, like... You know his his wife hides the household idols when they're escaping from Laban you're like, "Wait, what? do I have any household idols i do I do they just don't pay off, man I'm just saying that, and Jesus think about how utterly humble God is. His chosen guy's like, yeah, I got a household idols. He just puts up with it for a while. But I don't want to do that, man. It, it's like intimacy with really bad breath. Jesus' is like, yeah, I want to hug. Come on, man. This could be so much better. Without, you know, my idolatry is I want to be respected. I want to be really. That's not a bad thing, but but I will, I will change what I do to be respected. Even if Jesus says, "Why don't you go make a fool of yourself, bro?" Right? <laughs> Power. He's he's so smart. I can't even stand it. Yeah, there's there's these idols lurking in my closet. That Jesus, in His great kindness, He's addressing. He's addressing, and I, I, I want Him to, and I also don't want Him to. Am I open to Jesus? Was messing with that, and and I am I opening? This is a massive question. Open to Jesus messing with the way I understand the purpose of my life? Do I live here for the glory of God? And that doesn't mean just you're going to do what I say, little peon. Purpose? No. Could you be so taken with God's glory? Realize there's really nothing else for me. I, 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 I can't get another hit that that matches this thing. And I'm actually beautifully and wonderfully made, and so screwed up with sin, but Jesus is rescuing me from it. My impulses are generally messed up, but Jesus is changing them. And, and I mean. It'll change everything If we understand we're made for the glory of God We'll stop hating ourselves Because he don't He's wildly in love He's trying to fix the sin thing And so here's what will really help us with this Because these are like epic questions Like impossible, right? Like I just thought I was coming to a meeting And now I'm questioning the purpose of my life You know Kinda, yeah. Um, here's what'll help, and this is where what Joe shared earlier today is really encouraging to me. Is this is already I'd already written this. I'd already given the keynote. I didn't make this up while he was sharing it. Here, here's the here. If those are too much questions, and they are, they're bigger than us. They're over our heads. Worship is the reasonable response to God's glory. Where is God's glory? It's found in the face of Jesus. It's a God who said, "Let light shine out of darkness." Made His light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And here's what happens to us when we stare at Jesus. We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing. Glory! Now you know what that means, the glory, the weight and power and presence of God, what was meant to be in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in your relationships. As we contemplate Jesus, he transforms those things. You say, it's got to be more complicated than that. I've been a Christian for a long time. I read the Bible for a long time and nothing else has worked other than staring at Jesus. I'll tell you, yesterday I, I got I got really anxious about finances. My poor wife. She's just asking a simple question. Then <laughs> anyone had <have> this experience? <laughs> like, do you want to ruin us financially? I was just asking about milk, bro. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm telling people they should stare at Jesus. Maybe I should try myself. And I was going to look at something, and I felt like Jesus led me He just said, look at John 2. And so here I am in in this wedding. Jesus is hanging out. He gets invited to a wedding. What's the big deal? And the wedding's going fine, except for they run out of wine. Sounds like the world's going to end, right? Sounds like a serious problem. But Think about this for a second. Probably embarrassing to the family hosting it. Probably just awkward... And Jesus' mom goes, Jesus, bro, you're on. He's like, woman, it's not my hour. And Jesus, without a question, provides, okay, so the estimate per gallon, per, per container is like six containers between 20 and 30 gallons apiece. piece. Jesus, Jesus provides 180 gallons of pristine wine for this wedding. And it says at the end of that story, and this was the first of the signs in which Jesus revealed his glory. Think about the needless generosity. I'm worried about finances and a jug of milk. And Jesus said, I'll deliver on 180 gallons in a wedding just so the party can keep on going, man. That's how we stare at the beauty of Jesus in a very practical way. Just take a picture of what Jesus is like. That, that doesn't that's not my emotional immediate response. God's gonna be pissed because I haven't been saving money as fast as I could. You know what I mean? Anybody relate to this? These pesky bills keep on coming, you know? <laughs> and Jesus said, Well, the way I revealed my glory was to make a party crazy. We think about how nuts that is. So, we're going to talk about another party. We're going to do communion together. And do the worship team, if you guys would come on up. Anna, can hear you... So, Jesus actually creates the most central act of worship at a dinner party where he and his friends are together, it's a pretty intense moment. And he's explaining that this Passover feast, this thing where sacrifice happened to restore relationship to God, and that we reenact this in this Passover meal as Jews, this this meal that whole time was actually all about me all along. And he says these things. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup's the new covenant, new relationship in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So think about that for a second. The height of God's glory is in Jesus' death. His sacrificial giving away himself where love and justice meet, and so he, he, you know we've got our own little version of this in the whatever you call this porta port communion. If you if you take the top part, you know you have to split that apart, and there's a little wafer there. If you've been here a while, you know how to do this, and there's a cup. And what we're going to take time to do is is let Jesus search us for any places that are just not in alignment with His glory, His beauty in us. If there's sin, man, don't hide it. The only way to get it fixed is to bring it. I want Him to forgive my sins. He wants to expose them because He loves me. It's not to shame me, it's to f- fix the shame, to free us. There's, if there's bodies here that need to be healed, this is a moment where He wants to restore the glory in our bodies. I I, I want to particularly even just say out loud, there's brains he wants to heal here. And our chemical processes and our thought processes that cause that anxiety just to stay at a high level all the time. I believe the Lord wants to heal these things in us. So, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. So, Jesus, will you now bring your healing into our bodies and just wait for just a second. Is there anything you want to heal in us, Lord? So, Lord, in faith, we believe that what you said is true. This is your body for us, and we take it together. And Lord, we raise this cup. Thank you that this cup of suffering at the bride, at the wedding of the Lamb, will be turned into a cup of celebration and so Lord will you look on us is, is there any sins that we need to be forgiven of anybody we need to forgive Lord anything you want to clean us and free us from let's just wait for a second before we take that cup. let him show us just give in to whatever he wants He's so good. He wants to heal us. Let forgiveness flow. Lord Jesus, in faith that your blood cleanses us from all sin, we take this cup together. Let's take it. Today we're going to close with um, Molly King, who's one of our worship leaders here. Um, As this series has been going on, the Lord's just been provoking thoughts in her. And the other day she said to me and Brian, she goes, I don't know, I think it's a song. What do you think? We're like, come on. And so this is a little homegrown song from Molly. Let's just let it wash over us as we're in the Lord's presence here.
1: You gave your life for me if I could love.
0: So, please respect what the Holy Spirit's doing here. I know some of you've got to get your kids. So, let's have our combos either out in the hallway or outside. Okay. But feel we're going to stay as long as the Holy Spirit's doing stuff. So, okay. So, we're here for you.